0: This is Jeff Mucci with RCR Wireless News. Welcome to this week's IoT Innovation episode where we're going to focus on CES 2016. We've got some great gang members here. We've got Chris, Steve, and our managing editor, Sean Kennedy, joining us today. But first, a few words from our sponsors and Ritsu and Telecom Careers.
1: This episode of IoT Innovation is sponsored by Ann Ritsu.
2: Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com.
0: Yep. Yep. So, welcome back to this week's IoT Innovation. We're going to be talking about CES 2016. We've got Steve Brumer from 151 Ventures. We have Chris Hare, CEO of Entity Group, and our own Sean Kenny. Managing Editor of RCR Wireless News. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks for for having us. us. Well, Steve, why don't we start out (laughs) with you? And, and, you know, I know in my email I mentioned you could have a couple big topics, so I'll (laughs) stick to that. But, you know, go through some of the big highlights of uh, IoT at CES at this year's show.
2: Uh, it, It was insanely bigger and wider and deeper than ever before. I was just amazed at how many things were going on at the same time, on that floor. Uh, Eureka Park was insane. Uh, The idea of how much more uh, companies are out there around the world bringing innovative technology to the marketplace. Um, The one thing that I thought that was lacking was not a lot of people had an idea of how to make money doing this uh, in this IoT space. So they have cool products, but they key, uh, they don't know how the hell I'm gonna sell it. So, I think that was one of the big takeaways for us was when we started to question these guys on distribution, how are you going it, what are you doing for marketing, how who are you partnering with. That that held uh, that was not well described by any of these people. But I think from an overall standpoint, I was amazed at the virtual reality. Uh, so many companies are getting more and more into it. Uh, you know. Asian corporations were there by the droves with virtual reality. And I know that uh, you know some of you guys, I know Chris is a big hoverboard guy, so there was only 75 hoverboards that were for sale there on, on the show floor. But the virtual reality, the augmented reality, I think were amazing. You know, I still can't get into this wearables i mean the fitbit stuffs and all the other things that were there was kind of me too things the uh, home automation was incredible so there's you know 3d printing i don't know if you got a chance to walk around there you know they're going to make food out of 3d printing at some particular point i mean it's just insane what's going on in that area too so there that was those were my exciting highlights
3: cool well chris what jumped out of you um, I agree with Steve. It was a bit of a zoo. I mean, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know you're in a crazy conference when um, you're already in the lar- largest conference venue in the world and it's, it can't cope. Um, when it can't cope in terms of logistics, let alone uh, traffic let alone being in absolutely the wrong end of Vegas when you should be the other end of Vegas and no, no way of catching up your schedule. Um, it, it's a crazy situation. In terms of highlights, um, I have to say I woke up and realized I was at a car show. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much is going to get squeezed out of Detroit this week in terms of automotive news. But it was it was fascinating because, you know, as, as with, with you guys, all of you, Um, Living and breathing CTIA shows and and CES and Mobile World Congress and um, 4G World and all sorts of other conferences over the years, I've got used to the gradual change where CES has become a place where lots of um, mobile announcements were made. There were really very few last week that were related to mobile phones. Um, It very much had shifted to uh, automotive it shifted and, and some were, were very realistic automotive extensions. Some were clearly um, media uh, attention grabbers because they're not quite ready for the real news. Uh, and Faraday Future was that great example of an amazing vehicle that they don't intend to build. Um, but beyond that, it was a lot of healthcare. It was It was uh, 27,000 versions of a Fitbit um, that you know people are going to figure out whether they want another one. Um, and, and I think it, it fundamentally points to exactly what Steve said, is there's lots of people shooting, uh, you know, shooting a, a wall trying to figure out what's going to stick. And in terms of revenue, let alone profit generation, um, I think the business cases are very, very weak, uh, which is why in the case of IoT in general, I think we end up spending so much time talking about industrial IoT. I agree. Instead of instead of consumer, just because somebody somewhere had to actually put a case together.
0: Got it. Well, Sean, I know you wrote quite a bit and you did a lot of pre-stories. Um, you went to Atlanta and spent some time with at and and got some embargo things before the show, but uh, what jumped out at you as some of the key takeaways? Well, uh, I'll certainly uh, agree with our colleagues' assessment of the show. It is insane, and uh, just if
1: you guys are marking your calendars, there you got 358 days till uh, yes, twenty. do don't, don't start counting. Yeah, for so. I, uh, I don't know. I you know I was much more interested in some of the industrial IoT applications, but just to to make some broad comments about the consumer fronting IoT products, uh, it seems like. The emphasis right now in wearables is maybe starting to go where it needs to be, which is on services and not form factor. Uh, To me, you really need to spend your time focusing on making a very meaningful, insightful service because for me as a consumer, I'll buy something if it's ugly but performs a very important service, whereas the inverse isn't necessarily true for me. And then I would also say, um, and this comments particularly around integration with uh, Amazon's Alexa platform, we're finally starting to see a little bit of unification in these uh, different products from different vendors where they can share data and work together, which is really what you need to have a good value proposition for a home automation product is that it can integrate with something you already have as opposed to just running dozens of different devices that don't talk to each other. On the industrial space... uh, and, you know, these guys weren't really taking part in CES. They were there more in a listening capacity, I think. But we had the opportunity to spend some time with Altair, Semiconductor, and uh, Saquon's. Talk a lot about Cat0, Cat1, Cat M standards for IoT chipsets. I think there's going to be a, a, a lot of emphasis on that going forward. And we're going to see some uh, really quick uptake in the industrial space just because it's such a clear way to, Invest one time and then make a really long term meaningful impact on your CapEx and OpEx.
0: Yeah. I know, Chris, uh, uh, guys, Sean and I were hanging around the water cooler, and he said one of the things that was conspicuously absent was talk about IoT security. Uh, I was curious if you guys um, saw anything or were there any revelations around uh, IoT security, particularly related to personal data and uh, industrial, quote, espionage?
3: Um, uh, certainly from my point of view, it wasn't really so much at the show, but other meetings that I've had over the last few months, I'm seeing a lot of attention on uh, chip level security uh, as a necessary next step in terms of uh, improving both consumer and, and, um, in industrial and, and business security. I, I think that's where it's got to go. Uh, there's only so many passwords we're all going to carry around. There's only so much, um, Encryption we're all going to tolerate before all of the data we really want to get to is not in a fit state for us to receive. Um, I think it actually points to another trend which may um, improve the security situation, and that is distributed computing. Um, I'm seeing a lot of um, on-device um, applications and on-device activity in IoT that will point to things not ever getting to the cloud in the first place and therefore not having to be uh, encrypted or, or protected in the same way. So uh, security is not that much of a focus of ours, so it wasn't really an attention grabber last week. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, see, I see a lot of work, uh, particularly companies like Intel and MediaTek and TI doing a lot of, of chip level security, because obviously it's not just about the phone being secure anymore or personal IoT devices um, I spent some time on TI's booth and the array of the array of uh, automotive products and the automotive technologies they're working on was pretty staggering. So I'd rather someone is not uh, breaching the security of the car that I'm driving at 70 miles an hour. Um, so it's kind of important.
2: And I'm going to say that I, I spent uh, an exorbitant amount of time with any of the IoT uh, companies that were distributing some kind of gateway product. So if they were doing an in-home automation, you know, security system, uh, IP cameras, turning on and off the lights, and the basic home automation, every time we were meeting with somebody at a booth, we were talking about their security spiel. You know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? You know, what does the encryption look like? Um, I was amazed at uh, the difference, I think, between now and even six months ago is so many people were trying to build this gateway behind the router. So all the security aspects was in their gateways, not in the router, not in the coding that was there, but from the gateway to the uh, sensors and devices that were behind it. So I was happy to hear that that is now being uh, front and center, a topic that there's going to be discussed with these guys, that they're selling security you know, some had their act together, some didn't, you know, we were questioning them from a, a series of expertise because we do a lot on mobile security. Uh, but the idea that when they were describing it, it made sense. Um, I'm going to tell you that from the, um, from the, uh, from the car manufacturers and some of the other home companies like the ADTs there, they seemed to have their act together. They had a pretty good answer. Lowe's with Iris had a pretty good answer for us on the security side and being able to show us you know show us some of the data that they had on what has been stopped at, the, at their gateway before entering the house and exiting the house. So I, I was pretty impressed at that the leaps and bounds that they've made at least in the last year from last year's show and definitely within the last six months.
0: Got it. Well Sean where did you physically spend time Let's see. Yeah. So we're at the hotels with convention um, centers. Were you in private meetings? What, uh, I, I'd say I spent the majority of my time, uh,
1: on the shuttle bus between tech. East and, <laughs> West, and uh, Second tier waiting in line for the shuttle bus between tech East and tech West. When I wasn't doing that, I spent a lot of time, uh, down on the, uh, automotive section, which was in the, uh, North hall, I believe. And then I spent a lot of time over at the Sands checking out the different home automation platforms. And, uh, I guess what struck me is uh, a lot of times I will consider connected car separately from IoT, but I saw a lot of applications that really sort of bridge that gap between your connected vehicle and your home automation platform. To give you an example of that, uh, AT&T has done some integration work between their digital life product line, which is uh, home automation security products, and then their AT&T Drive, which is their uh, modular connected car platform. And, uh, you know, that sounds uh, pretty elaborate, but at the end of the day, what I'm talking about here is you maybe pull out of your uh, driveway and your car sends a signal to your garage door and closes it for you. Locks the front door, dims the lights, cuts the air up, that kind of thing, which, you know, it seems simple, but it's really a very clean, elegant solution that draws all that together and a really does what I think the goal of connected car is, which just makes your car just another mobile device. So that was really interesting to see some progress in in bring those two subsets of IOT together.
3: Yeah.
0: How about you, Chris, where'd you spend all your time? (laughs)
3: Uh, In meetings, in hotel suites, very, very little time on the floor. uh, Completely. Actually, I I think uh, maybe uh, in three, four days, I spent maybe an hour and a half in the, um, Convention Center and a couple hours in the in the Sands Venetian area, and you know, and that's really the, the challenge with CES, uh, uh, the scale of the show, um, the logistics means you are you're either in a bus or a taxi or an Uber or some other means of transport, including walking a lot, um, which is maybe the the use of the Fitbit while you're out there, <laughs> to figure out why, why you feel so exhausted, um, but but the reality is is that's the challenge with that show and all shows of that scale is the meetings aren't really happening on the floor. Uh, The news isn't happening on the floor. Everyone wants to get a pre-announcement or a post-announcement. They want to be off cycle. Um, The booths are typically uh, shiny and glitzy and very nice, but um, the senior executives typically aren't there of the larger companies. So it's, it's really a dysfunctional situation because so much of the time, the real stuff's happening somewhere completely different. Um, I think that makes it challenging for any company, but it particularly in IoT makes it challenging for young companies because either they don't know this already, or if they do know this, they don't have the contacts, and they're, they're, they're kind of stuck it between a rock and a hard place. I know a lot of people that had booths that were trying to be at their booth and trying to get meetings done somewhere else, and, and you just can't achieve all of that. So, uh, you know, unless you're a massive company with a big presence – I think it's it's very very difficult to manage um, how to get meetings and business to happen and how to get a presence at that show. It's just it's just got to a crazy scale. I, I don't know. I'm not presenting a fix for that. If I was, I'd have already asked uh, you know someone at CEA to for for a chat about it. But I, I, yeah, it's it is what it is. I guess.
0: Well, Steve, you're a veteran. I know you've cracked the code on how to maneuver. One hundred and seventy thousand people where you want them when you want them where where'd you spend your time uh,
2: i'm getting smarter i'm not sure it's it's helping, but I am getting smarter about how I do it so I refuse to go to external hotels for meetings um, i spend uh, I, I will tell you that I was happy to see that the security hubbub uh was pretty well controlled it wasn't as dramatic it wasn't even as much as uh, mobile world congress is so um i'm glad they scared everybody everybody seemed to be carrying less stuff but uh the security lines were great i mean i really thought that that was going to be an absolute nightmare uh you know i'm a little i take this show a little differently i mean we had i had personally 16 meetings in three days plus i went to the ATT developer conference on tuesday which was Absolutely fantastic. A little, I, my feedback was it was a little high level for the people that were there. I think it could have been a little bit more in depth and a little bit more deeper into some of the things that was going on. And I know you feel the same way, Sean, because it, 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 it needs, the people there are intelligent. They're smart. They're coming there for a reason. They can go a little deeper. But I told Ralph and Glenn, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, in the sands. Um, we are IoT innovators. Segue, IoT innovator, I like seeing the new stuff. Um, I like seeing, like you said, the automotion, automotive stuff. There were a ton more aftermarket IoT connected car companies and accessory companies than ever before. The rear view mirrors, the side camera gateway guys that could retrofit into the existing connected car uh, marketplaces, which I always think is a really interesting way of going to market. So um, I saw a lot of that. So I spent probably half my show floor time over at Eureka Park, uh, and then the other half over at um, the Central and North halls, where there was, you know where there was more home automation. I wanted to see what ADT was doing. I wanted to see what the appliance companies were doing. I mean, why the hell you buy a refrigerator that does everything except I don't you know cook the food? I mean, you know, I don't know how these refrigerators are going to last for 15, 20 years like our refrigerators do now that are not IoT-connected. But Because, I mean, I, how much do you think it's going to cost to replace an electronic IoT-connected refrigerator? I mean – the washer and dryers in our house are two hundred and fifty dollars just for the pc board i can't imagine what it's going to cost to repair it, one of those things so um, so we spent a lot of time there and I, and thank God I did not have to worry about the shuttle buses going back and forth. We got smart enough to have a driver ready to take us and uber was fantastic I got uh, it, Except for the one day where they did the uh, 9.1 surcharge for a eight (laughs) dollar ride, it was 53 dollars. But other than that, Uber did great, and 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 having a driver helps a lot too.
0: Well, a comment on your refrigerator. Maybe the new business model for the industrial um, electronic companies will be on maintenance agreements.
2: Uh, No, that
0: refrigerator, and then they'll get a five year service contract, and that's their new recurring revenue service model. There's no doubt about it because, I mean, how would you, the consumer, know if they put a bug into your
2: refrigerator and it blew up and now it's going to cost you $500 to fix? So I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you.
0: Well, I think the car companies have done that for a long time. The local dealership. <laughs> yeah, right. They seem to get me coming back more and more. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly.
0: But yeah. uh, I want to switch over. Uh, uh, Sean, last year you covered NVIDIA mm-hmm. and that was one of our most popular videos. And then this year they talked about a supercomputer in a car. I'm just curious what your take was on some of the chip companies, specifically NVIDIA.
1: Yeah, NVIDIA, um, they have a really interesting strategy around autonomous driving, at least from my perspective. Uh, So much of what you see is intelligence accessible to the vehicle by way of a cloud computing platform, whereas NVIDIA has, you know, it's a supercomputer is what it is. I think it's eight teraflops or something like this, which is the functional equivalent of the 150 of these MacBook Pros that we're using. And it's all in the vehicle. So if you look way down the line, that's really the sort of uh, functionality you need for autonomous driving to work and not be totally dependent on network access. So it's really interesting to see them do that. And uh, this is all based on deep learning, which is a know creating a neural network in a computer that learns in a sort of layered way like a human mind does particularly when you talk about perceiving visuals so it was uh it was great to to see the updates and the progress they've made on that drive px platform for the latest release which they put out at ces which was drive px2 i think in terms of uh, oem partnerships they're working really closely with volvo on a go-to-market strategy around that and uh you know, I wouldn't be surprised. We see a lot of, and in fact, just today, we see a lot of these go-to markets for autonomous vehicles seem to be around fleet-level partnerships, and the, the news I was referencing there is GM. Last week, they invested $500 million in Lyft, and today they announced that they're going to pilot autonomous cabs or Lyft vehicles right here in downtown Austin, which is a interesting value proposition. But I would, I would reckon that NVIDIA has one of those up their sleeves as well, and that we'll see a uh, see some of that really high-tech, really powerful stuff, uh, not necessarily commercially available, but on the road pretty soon. Hey,
2: Sean, did you go
1: over to QNX? I did not. Were you able to make it over there?
2: I did, and, uh, you know, of course, we've learned a lot of where they are this year, and I thought that uh, some of the new development they have now for their software and increasing the amount of connections within that software into the car – is light years away or away from where they were last year. So um, I was pretty impressed with some of the stuff that they were showing.
0: Well, I think uh, you're from Atlanta. Uh, you're in New Jersey today, though, Steve. But uh, AT&T <laughs> had a few announcements last week, and then um, Verizon came on right behind them. Uh, where do you see those guys focusing their attention and actually driving uh, monetization of their efforts? Uh, if you're talking
2: about the smart cities announcements between yeah. the two of them, uh, you know, I think what Mike Zito and Chris Penrose have done at AT&T on the Smart Cities is fantastic. I mean, they are building some great partnerships. As you know, you cannot build a smart city without solid partnerships. Uh, what they have done in a short period of time is uh, nothing simple. It's amazing. Uh, but then again, you got good guys with a great story, with the capabilities of being able to provide all the back end of what AT&T is doing. I, you know the Verizon announcement comes on the heels of it. You know, you know, you always wonder why marketing people do those kind of things. But I think both of those carriers are going to, you know, have a big, big stake in what's going on here, just like some of the other smart cities op, uh, situations going in Asia, where the. You know, the carrier partners there are actively involved in a lot of things putting together. You know, you have to have the professional services and the integration capabilities and those partnerships that are there. So uh, very impressed with what uh, the Smart Cities team, uh, Mike Zito, is doing at at and
3: And I think building on that, you know, one of the interesting things in the last 12 months, I spent some time in Mexico City last fall. And uh, the carriers there are in the middle of a, a deregulation situation um, that, that also has as. Uh, been impacted by the fact that AT&T bought um, uh, Nextel and UESA cell. so they've kind of unsettled the the landscape of the carriers. Well, clearly one of the reasons they've done that, they made that move, is to expand their Latin America footprint, so that the the smart city environment becomes a a, a moving environment. It's not just about a smart city; it's about the people in the in the nodes that drive between those smart cities still being connected. So if you're driving your smart connected vehicle, be it a Tesla, a Volvo or a Faraday Future in, in, at some point or something else, you don't wanna go from um, you know, um, Austin via Monterey to Mexico City and lose connection or have to fight through and figure out 20 pages of phone bill a month later because you switched roaming agreements. This is, this is why you know, the, the whole goal here with Smart Cities is one SIM card, and as we go software SIM, it will be even less relevant, but, but physically one relationship with the carrier, and that's why these global relationships for companies like AT&T and Verizon, and last week I met with Deutsche Telekom, they've got very much the same ambitions and aspirations to be your one uh, pipe for all of that activity. And I think, you know, as, as, I've, as I've said many times over the years, the, the carriers are a pipe for data. And as that data becomes even more valuable and even more critical, um, they become the source um, and the delivery mechanism for all of us. So I think I think you're right, Steve. I think uh, smart cities is a big deal and it's going to integrate. It's going to bring in all of the non-standard, other large companies that are trying to figure out how to regulate each other. Um, and force them through a regulated pipe. And, th- and this may actually help the regulatory landscape uh, that is otherwise going to be a mess until um, you know, the regulators allow it to settle on its own, which is too long. And I, and I also think, Chris, that it's going to help these small, medium-sized
2: technology companies right. developing new products to be able to participate in it, much more so than a connected car world.
3: Yeah, definitely.
2: So many more things that they can add to that
0: pipe in a smart city.
3: Right. Yeah, I think so, too.
0: Well, uh, Going back to AT&T, uh, AT&T launched with Telefonica, their connected life product in Europe. So that's a you key. Know, AT&T built the product here, rolled it out in North America, and then they partnered with uh, Telefonica for European deployment. And so when you think about the at and axis, if you will, Telefonica is very strong in South America. AT&T has a big presence now in Mexico. So you've got a real nice alignment between AT&T and Telefonica with their connected car and if they can start tying it to some of these smart city initiatives, you do increase the probability of that one SIM card, one connection, one relationship. Are you? My question is, are you seeing other alignments starting to take place in other parts of the world between certain carriers so they do have a broader scope and, and broader reach?
3: Um, yeah, speaking personally, connected to some of the Latin America stuff, I see America Mobile uh, spending a lot more time active in uh, Southern Europe. Uh, partly because of language and partly because of content, um, connected content and original content, as we 've seen in the u s with Netflix and amazon is a is a key way of driving up that value chain and increasing um, the the profit margin you make on the content that 's in your house and of course, as we 've seen this week with uh, unlimited datas back, did anyone know? Yeah. Uh, well, you have to get, to, get
0: out of my grandfather plan now.
3: It's I was going to say, I'm, I'm still in my, my grandfather plan too, and I'm not going anywhere. I, I'm not leaving, exactly. Exactly. But, but I think that what that points to is that this is all about a data flow and a data pipe. And uh, as with Amazon and Netflix, it, it, it moves very quickly into, look, we want to control the whole thing, you know, cradle to grave, the delivery mechanism, the pipe, and the content that's on it. And I think you're going to see even more uh, tight cooperations, especially for um, non-English non speaking countries that are looking to bridge with other countries around the world that have got similar communities. And I think actually we're going to see a much bigger play in the U.S. where, for example, America, Mobile, Telefonica, uh, etc., actually start looking at the uh, Spanish language content for the US which, which so far has not really been bridged to Europe so much and I think that's a missed opportunity um, but I, I, I you know as, as Steve said I think these partnerships are critical to IoT. Um, I think that um, having the the clearinghouse be the operator makes a lot of sense uh, as long as there's maintained at the right level of competition of course um, and I think that the only way is to be a global carrier at this point. Uh, regional carriers are just gonna end up uh, fighting over what's left.
0: Got it. Well, we're running out of time, but I wanna go around the horn and talk a little bit about Mobile World Congress that's coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, maybe give us your prediction. We'll start with Steve, then hit Chris and Sean, and just talk a little bit about um, Mobile World Congress, what you expect to see, and any other final comment you might have on CES. Uh,
2: Mobile World Congress, more controlled chaos. Uh, coming down the pipe next month at at a show near you Uh, you know listen it's a it's a great low-cost sales call for guys like us in the U.S. that are going over there we get to see a ton of new uh, people that uh, it's usually hard to get to so um, we have a lot of meetings set up Uh, I am uh, moderating a panel on smart cities actually while there so I'm very happy to help uh, GSMA and putting that thing together so uh looking forward to seeing, again, new innovative technologies coming out of other parts of the world of companies that are going there. Um, I am uh, planning ahead to spend more time on the floor than I have for the last you know, five years because I think I missed a lot of things last year by spending too much time in meetings and too much time uh, not being productive on the show floor to see what innovative ideas are coming there. Um, I'm going to say the conclusion on CES is that I, I believe that it is not a consumer's show anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's changed dramatically to in the industrial side, the enterprise side and, and things. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that it just, you know, we, the, the riffraff that was going to see the cars and see some of the speakers and the, and the stereos and stuff are not there as much. And so I think it's a, I think the show has made a pivot and, I, and it's going to be interesting to see how Gary Shapiro handles that going forward. But again, outstanding show. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed this this year, maybe because I was a little bit more organized <laughs> this time and made a little bit better plan for it and, and had good meetings.
3: Chris? Yeah, so um, Barcelona is Barcelona. Um, I think it's gone the same way that Mobile World Congress um, uh, or sorry, that CES did in as much that it started in a very, very big hall and then spread out. And so I'm expecting it to be more of the same between the old fear and the new fear and lots of hotels and lots of taxis. And I'm sure Uber will do very nicely there, too. <laughs> um, I think in terms of if, if events and in terms of announcements, I'm expecting more of the same in terms of automotive and medical. Uh, however, I am expecting a lot more in terms of smartphone uh, announcements. And although, you know, this is an IoT discussion, but to be honest, you know, one of the most uh, connected IoT devices is your phone, and it it becomes the hub and the remote control for a bunch of these IoT applications, whether they are consumer or, or industrial. So I think it's critical to see what features are being added to these devices. There's a lot of predictions and rumors already about Samsung and Apple and others this year, as far as what they're gonna add to devices. They don't seem to be more than incremental changes at the moment. Um, I think you're gonna see more passive displays, uh, not not only on phones, but on other devices. Low battery, no one's fixing the battery problem, so the processes and the the, uh, displays and the utilization need to improve, and I think that's coming. Um, I think in terms of reflections on CES, I agree with Steve, I mean, CEA has done a tremendous job of scaling this show and, and making it less consumer. There were far less bag carriers, people that were there with their kids trying to just grab leaflets, uh, and that and, and uh, you know that's great as an education process. But in terms of all of us trying to get job done, um, it it really used to be a big distraction a few years ago, and it's much less so. Um, I guess my question is is how much bigger can it truthfully get? Um, I think there's there's got to be some kind of um, um, multi-celled evolution here it's like an amoeba at what point does it split into um, subsets of the same show in the same city just in order to give people chance to get around it I'm not sure how they would do that but I think something's got to happen if you as you approach 200,000 attendees uh, it's it's going to be very, very difficult to navigate uh, next year. And, and, and Sean, please don't remind me how many days it is until I've got to be back there.
0: Hey <laughs> <laughs> right, Sean, what are you gonna, where are you going to spend time with Mobile World Congress and kind um, of closing thoughts
1: on CES? Well, Mobile World Congress is a, a sigh of relief for me after CES. I, I can get more work done in the morning of one day of Mobile World Congress than in the entirety of CES. And I would love it if they took Chris's advice and kind of just spun off sub shows so that the people that were interested in one topic can stay put in the sands or Mandalay Bay or wherever. For Mobile World Congress, you know, I'm really, I'm looking forward to a lot of action around smart city technology because to me, this is really where, uh, you know, if you're an Ericsson or an Alcatel-Lucent, this is where there's a lot of money to be made because the value proposition is crystal clear and your potential customer base is every municipality on earth. So I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff you can do with there. And from my personal perspective, I don't really care about Fitbits and stuff like that. I'm interested in using that technology to push quality of life change for a lot of people all at once. And that's what a smart city is. And I and I think that's going to be a, a really key theme, uh, particularly on the vendor side. And then. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see the discussion around uh, small cells in terms of enterprise adoption and then carrier adoption. Because I think right now the, uh, the enterprise segment is really where you're going to see a lot of action in 2016, followed by carriers. And then uh, I'm also interested to see what folks are doing with the outdoor DASs. I think there's going to be a, a lot yeah. of a lot of talk around that, particularly from a, a multi-carrier perspective So uh, that should be uh, really interesting too. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, a little time over in Boston today. Get to see everybody in industry all under one roof there.
0: Well, guys, yeah, Sean,
2: Sean, you better make sure you come see my smart cities panel, moderated by Steve Brummer at 151 Advisors. Okay, keep it on
0: my calendar. <laughs> well, listen, guys, um, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, this is kind of a format we're going to have uh, for the next couple weeks. We're going to invite folks to drop in. Uh, if you have an interest in participating in IoT innovation, shoot me a note. At Jay Mucci at RCR Wireless News, uh, or RCRWireless.com, excuse me. Send Sean a note. And uh, we look forward to seeing you two, Chris and uh, Steve, in a a show
3: upcoming over the next couple of weeks. Sounds great. Bye, guys. Thank you very much, guys. All right, have a good week. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye.
1: IoT Innovation is a production of RCR TV. To find out more about IoT innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.